Amen. Thank you so much for that uh, wonderful number choir message in that song, Lead Me to Calvary. Open your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 23. We'll be reading there in just a few minutes. Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. If you didn't bring a Bible today, there should be one in the rack there in front of you. Find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. Chapter 23. Kathy Lynn Grossman wrote the following in an article that was published on usatoday.com. And the article was entitled, Many Beliefs, Many Ways to Heaven, and had a question mark on the end. Many Beliefs, Many Ways to Heaven. Here's what the article said, part of it. Most American religious believers, including most Christians, say eternal life is not exclusively for those who accept Christ as their Savior, a new survey finds. Of the 65% of people who held this open view of heaven's gates, 80% named at least one non-Christian group, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, or other people of no religion at all, who may also be saved, according to a new survey released today by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life. The article said this means 52% of Christians do not agree with the doctrines many religions teach, particularly conservative denominations. Albert Moeller, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, calls the findings, and I quote, a theological crisis for American evangelicals. They represent at best a misunderstanding of the gospel and at worst a repudiation of the gospel. Now, listen, this article went on to say these, and I want you to listen to these words. Many Christians, 29% say they are saved by their good actions. 29% say they are saved by their good actions. And 10% say salvation is through a combination of behavior and belief, a view closer to Catholic teachings. Now, I want you to not misunderstand me today. And not misunderstand this article. What they're saying is, so many of these people are saying is, Jesus is not the only way to heaven. And many of the people saying this are believers who say, I'm saved through my good works, 29%. Or 10% say, I'm saved by my belief and my behavior. Now, the question this morning for all of us to answer is, who is right? Who is right? I'd like to submit to you this. Jesus is right. Jesus is right. If you really want to know the answer to that question, go and ask him. Go to the source. And Jesus did not leave us to wonder about this. This is not a great issue. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man, listen, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. That is not popular today, but that's the truth. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Jesus Christ is the only way to have salvation. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, the life, and no man's going to the Father but through Jesus Christ. Now, that, that article finished with a quote from Dr. Moeller, one of our own. He said, and I quote, we are in an age when we want to tell everyone they're doing just fine. 
fine. It's extremely uncomfortable to turn to someone and say, you will go to hell unless you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. End quote. And I want everybody here to understand this today and hear this. You will go to hell unless you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is Christ alone. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not my good life, my good works, my church attendance. It is Jesus Christ alone. As the songwriter said, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. We're going to go back to the cross this morning. What a fitting number the choir sang. We're taking a brief break from our series on the life of Joseph to prepare our hearts for our upcoming Easter celebration. And over the next several weeks, we're going to look at Jesus, the Lord Jesus, and his interaction with various people. And today we're going to see Jesus and a dying thief. Jesus and a dying thief. And I've asked you to open your Bibles to Luke 23. I trust you're there now. And we're going to begin reading, uh, beginning at verse 32 of Luke 23. Luke 23, begin reading at verse 32. The Bible says, and there were also two other male factors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the male factors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged, railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today... Shalt thou be with me in paradise? Jesus and a dying thief. As we think about this dying thief today, I want to talk first of all about his identification. Then we'll talk about his conversation. And finally, we'll discuss his destination. Buckle up, get ready. Here we go. His identification. Who he was. His identification. Let me say first of all that he was a man. He was a man. You say, well, preacher, that's a strange thing to mention. I mean, we understand that he's a man, but we ought to forget that this man hanging next to Jesus on a cross. He was a real breathing human being. He was the son of a mom and a dad. Perhaps we don't know. Perhaps he was a brother. Maybe he was an uncle, maybe even a husband, a dad. We don't know. But certainly at the very least, he was a friend to somebody, someone. We're not told much about his background, but we would love to believe and certainly believe that at least somebody was sorrowing over his death, was sorrowing over his demise. He was a man. 
He was suffering. He was bleeding. He was dying there next to the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a man, but Scripture tells us he was also a male factor. Now, we don't use that word too often today. We don't refer to people as being male factors. We would probably say instead that someone is a criminal. In fact, Matthew and Mark tell us that he was a thief. He was a robber. Now, we're not told what all was involved in his crimes, but it was enough to bring this man to the point where they nailed him to a cross. He was being put to death for his crimes. And this whole scene that we look at here today at Calvary and these two male factors reminds us and warns us about the exceeding sinfulness of sin. This man did not start out in life saying, you know what, I'm going to ruin my life. I'm going to end up, my goal is to be on a cross and dying for my crimes and my sin. But he went further and further down a road. And that road ultimately led him to this point in his life, an awful end upon a cross. I want you to understand something today, beloved. We don't treat sin serious enough. We like to play with sin. We like to toy with sin. We think that we're powerful enough, we're strong enough, we can whip it. And before long, we find ourselves in a place in life and we turn around and wonder, how in the world did I get here? I wonder, how many of you like snakes? How many of you like snakes? One or two in here like snakes. Some people can't even stand a rubber snake. I mean, even a rubber snake gives them the heebie-jeebies. They just can't stand that. And other people love rubber snakes. They love to scare those who can't stand rubber snakes. And they chase them around. They leave them places. They love to see people run scared. But, you know, people may play with a rubber snake, but I don't see many people playing with a rattlesnake. They don't play with rattlesnakes. Even those on television, those crazy enough to go hunt those things down and go poking in their holes and stuff, they at least have respect for these animals. They at least have respect realizing that these things are dangerous. They don't just play with them. Why? Because they don't want that snake to bite them. and They don't want to die. I mean, that's just plain and simple. And yet so many treat sin in a way where they play with it. And before long, like a snake that you've messed with too long, it turns around and bites them. The Bible says it this way in James chapter one. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. If we wouldn't play with a rattlesnake today. We realize the danger of that. We value our lives too much for that. And yet we play with sin and sin is exceedingly sinful. It is dangerous. It is hazardous. It's to be avoided at all cost. Here's a simple verse you can remember from Proverbs chapter one and verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. Say no to sin. Now, this dying thief here was a male factor. He had obviously lived a very sinful life. He was now paying the price. But let me caution anyone here today who may be growing smug and say, well, I have not I've not committed any heinous crimes and and I'm not condemned and I'm not guilty. Listen, beloved, you don't if you don't have Jesus Christ as your savior, you're already guilty and you're already condemned. The Bible says in Romans chapter three, what then are we better than they? No, in no wise, for we have before proved both Jew and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Romans 6.23 begins this way. For the wages of sin is death. 
You realize this morning you don't have to do anything else to die and go to hell if you don't know Jesus as Savior. You're already condemned. You're already guilty. You're already destined for there. You need Christ as your Savior. His identification, who he was. You know, he was a man. He was a male factor. Notice next his conversation, what he said. Two conversations really want to think about quickly this morning. First of all, his conversation with the other male factor. Now, the scripture is clear. There were three crosses on Calvary that day. Jesus was on the middle cross and there was a criminal on his right hand side. There was a criminal on his left hand side. Allow me here, if we look at this, we, we, we compare this to the other gospel accounts. We get a clearer picture of what went on this day with these criminals. There's something very interesting. Because it says there in Mark chapter 15, verse 27, and with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand, the other on his left. And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads and saying, Oh, thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself and come down from the cross. Listen, likewise, also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself. He cannot save. Let Christ, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may believe. And they that were, listen, and they that were crucified with him reviled him. They that were crucified with him. Matthew said it this way. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now, what's that mean? In the Gospel of Luke, we don't find that. We find that one male factor is mocking the Lord and blasting the Lord and the other rebukes him. Yet I go and read in Matthew and Mark, it says that both of them mocked him. Both of them railed on Jesus. So what's going on? Once again, who is right? They all are. How can that be? preached? Well, I think it's pretty clear what's going on here. I think at the beginning of this crucifixion, as they're entering into this horrible pain and suffering, I think that both criminals, both of these men, begin to mock and rail and blaspheme the Lord Jesus Christ. But as time passed, one fell silent. As time passed, one had a change of heart. Let's look at the conversation a little closer. Verse 39. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing that thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. I think at the very beginning they both mocked and blasphemed and railed on him. But then one fell silent. One had a change of heart and the other continued. And the other one who had the change of heart said, stop it. He rebuked him. And in this conversation, he asked him, don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? Don't you see you're close to the end of your earthly life? Now's not a time to mock God. Now's a time to seek him. A time to beg for mercy. And in his rebuke, he does several things. Don't just glance over it and gloss over it quickly. Notice what he did here. First of all, he admitted his guilt. Look at verse 41. We received the due reward of our deeds. We did wrong. We're guilty. I'm guilty. 
Notice, likewise, he admits he's receiving justice. Verse 41 again. And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. In other words, we brought this upon ourselves. We're guilty. But then notice what else he did. He admits to the innocence of Jesus. Look at verse 41 again. The end of the verse. But this man, talking about Jesus, this man hath done nothing amiss. This man is innocent. Now, I'll be honest, beloved. I don't know if this man, this dying thief, if he had heard Jesus teach in his life. I don't know if he just heard about Jesus or if he had just witnessed the Lord Jesus on that day during the crucifixion. But he was right on in what he said. This dying thief had good theology. He said this, we're guilty. We deserve to die. But Jesus is innocent. His conversation with the other male factor was a very bold one. We move to a second conversation, though. And that's his conversation with the Lord Jesus in verse 42. Look at what it says. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. If we were to summarize his conversation with the male factor with the word rebuke, I think it's a good summary. We would summarize his conversation with the Lord Jesus with this word repentance. He said, Lord, remember me when, not if, but when thou comest into thy kingdom. It's a very simple prayer. He calls him Lord. I believe you're Lord. I believe you are the king. I believe you're going to have a kingdom. Lord, remember me. Now, remember, he's looking at the Lord Jesus on a cross next to him, dying next to him. And yet he has faith to say, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. What faith? He says to the God man dying on that middle tree, Lord, remember me. His identification, who he was. His conversation, what he said finally this morning, his destination, where he went. In just a short while, his earthly life would be over. But he would live on eternally. Where was his destination? Where did he go? Well, first of all, we mentioned he went to a place. Look at verse 43. You know, Jesus didn't say anything to those who were mocking him and rebuking him. He prayed earlier. We read about it. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't answer the other thief who was railing on him, but he turned to this thief and he said in him, verse 43, Verily I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise, a place, paradise. The word translated, Ken Hughes said the word translated paradise, paradisos, bore the root meaning of garden. It came to represent the future bliss of God's people. The New Testament writers used it two other times as a symbol of heaven and its bliss. Once when Paul referred to his experience of being caught up to paradise, where he heard inexpressible things in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 3 and 4. And also in the book of Revelation as the location of the tree of life from which the overcomer may eat. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7. Today you'll be with me in paradise, in the garden. Today you'll be with me in heaven. Won't heaven be a wonderful place? Will it? Yes. You ever seen a little chorus? Heaven is a wonderful place. 
filled with glory and grace. I want to see my Savior's face for heaven is a wonderful heaven is a glorious heaven is a wonderful place. What a day heaven. What a place heaven. But you know what? If you read the Lord's answer too quickly, you miss something even more wonderful. Go and look again. Verily, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me. You see, his destination was a place, but it also involved a person with me. With who? With Jesus. You see, beloved, that's why heaven is a wonderful place. You can have the streets of gold. Give me the glorious Savior. With me. You'll be with me. Was it Fanny Crosby who wrote, someday the silver cord will break? And I no more as now shall sing, but all oh, the joy when I shall wake within the presence of the king. And I shall see him. By the way, she was blind. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. And I shall see him face to face and tell the story saved by grace. You'll be with me. The Bible says for the child of God to be absent from the bodies, to be where? Present with the Lord. And while this identification reminds us of the exceeding sinfulness of sin, his destination reminds us of the superabounding love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's a dying thief. Here's someone who probably mocked him and railed him earlier. And Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. A place, a person, but it also serves this morning as proof. Proof. So, preacher, Roger, what do you mean proof? I mean this. It's proof of several things. First of all, salvation and heaven are not the result of a good life. Why? This man didn't live a good life. This man lived a sinful life. This man was a robber. This man was evil. He'd done evil things. He did wrong things. He was being punished for his sin. He was dying for his sin, dying for his crimes, dying for these things. And so I look back and I hear, well, how do you get to heaven? Well, a good life. No, friend, this man didn't live a good life. Yet he went to be with Jesus. He went to paradise. It's also a proof that salvation and heaven are not the result of water baptism. They're not the result of water baptism. I don't read anywhere where they got off the cross, went down to the river Baptized this man, they went and got nailed on the cross again. You're not saved by water baptism. We can take you this morning in the baptismal pool if you don't know Jesus. And you'll go in a dry center and you'll come out a wet center. What's the, what's the old song say? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Now, we're not discounting the importance of baptism. Baptism is the first step of obedience. If you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you stand before everybody and you say, I am a believer. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And even in your baptism, you show the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's a glorious thing. And we praise God for it. And if you're not baptized and you're saved, you ought to get baptized and obey the Lord. He set the example for us. But it does not save you. It's not a part of salvation. It's also proof this morning... That salvation and heaven are not the results of good works. You might say, well, I didn't live a good life, but I did some good works. 
I don't think this man did. He was a robber. He was a thief. He was a blasphemer. He wasn't busy, obviously, caring for the sick and poor and the infirmed. He wasn't spending his time down at the soup kitchen. He was robbing. He was committing crimes. And yet he said, Lord, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you say through faith that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I think it's one more proof here. That is this. Deathbed repentance is possible. But let me caution you, it's dangerous. It is possible. We would say this man's on his deathbed. He was on a cross. He was dying. But he was in the very last little while of his life. And deathbed repentance is possible. This man is in heaven, but it's dangerous to wait. You know why? You don't know when that day's coming. And you don't know if the Spirit of God will still be dealing with your heart. So don't go out of here saying, well, you know, the dying thief, he, he waited to the end. I'm going to live my life and do all I want to do. Then I'll trust Jesus. That's a foolish thing to do, friend. Today, today your life could end. You need to settle that today. Listen, all of us, all of us deserve death and hell. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We cannot save ourselves, but Jesus died and arose for you and for me, friend. And I don't care if 100% of the people they poll agree that you can get to heaven in several different ways. Jesus said, I'm the only way. I'm not just one way. He's the way. He's the only way. And if you die without the Lord Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity in hell. And you know what? He doesn't want you to go there. I don't want you to go there. We don't want you to go there. You don't want to go there. Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth of the life. That's why he came. That was why he was born as a babe and laid in that manger and lived a sinless, perfect life and then voluntarily laid down his life upon that cross because he loves you and desires you to have eternal life. He desires you to spend eternity in heaven with him. And all you have to do is call out up to him and say, Lord, remember me. Lord, forgive me. Lord, save me. Repent of your sin. And trust the Savior. Him writer was right when he wrote, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. But you ever notice this verse, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Are you going to heaven, friend? Do you know for certain today that Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? That you've been washed in the blood and you're not working your way to heaven? You're not living your way to heaven? You have trusted Jesus and because of His finished work on Calvary and His glorious resurrection, you have, this very moment, eternal life. And one day, you'll go to paradise. You'll go to heaven and be there with Him. And I'm looking forward to seeing this dying thief, aren't you? And talking with him about this experience. Today, friend, today, 
is the day of salvation. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And very quickly before we pray, I want to mention just two things here. First of all, if you don't know Jesus as Savior, today's the day to trust him. Repent of your sins. I don't want my sin anymore. I want Jesus. And place your faith completely and totally in him. Not your good works, not your good life, not anything else but Jesus Christ. And then some here today say, you know what, preacher, I've, did, I've done that. I did that a long time ago. Well, friend, do you realize and do you remember that your friends and your family and your co-workers and your schoolmates and your neighbors and your acquaintances and people sitting in this building this morning, those people that do not have Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're lost, they're condemned, and they're destined for hell. And I wonder, does that burden you? Does that bother you? Does that challenge you in any way, shape, or form to realize they don't have to do anything else? If they die this moment without Christ, they'd be in hell. And yet Jesus saved you and commissioned you to go and to tell them. Go and warn them. Go and share with them the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today, if there's somebody here in this building, Father, we're going to set everything else aside. Please remove any hindrances and distractions this very moment. And I pray the Spirit of God to grip hearts today. For those who don't know Christ seated here today, you'll give them the courage to come out, walk down this aisle, take my hand, and share with us that they want to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And then, Father, as we sit and talk with them, they'll place their faith in Christ and Christ alone. Father, I pray for believers in this building. Oh, the world keeps us so busy. And if we're honest, at times we just, we just kind of ignore that fact that people are destined for hell. We just live our lives and go about our way. Father, forgive us and burden our hearts and grip our hearts today to realize we're amidst a dying people destined for hell. And yet we have the answer. We know the one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that salvation is not a result of our good works or our good lives or water baptism or anything else. It's all by grace through faith in Jesus. Take charge now and have your will accomplished. In his name we pray. Amen.